our summer seminar series, which means we're going to take the entire summer. We dedicate it to leadership in the past, orphans to heirs. This, this year, we're going to dedicate studying the entire book of Romans from cover to cover. It is a fabulous study. If you've never studied the book of Romans, I'm actually more excited for you than the people who have because we're going to walk through it as a family, as a community together. And what's cool is, is this, guys. You may notice this, that we, we only allow ourselves to receive the love that we think we deserve. If someone says, I, I love you, I love you the way, ah, oh, I don't deserve that. We literally only allow ourselves to be loved to, the, to the, the level that we think we deserve. Romans is about being loved well beyond that level. It's about God saying, I love you no matter what, no matter where, no matter who. Um, it's about destiny. It's about adoption. It's about freedom. It's about kicking the devil's butt. It's about having a meaningful life. And so we have a study guide for you on the way out. We produce this in-house. that um, has a week-by-week uh, reckoning how to study this, the, the major verses we're asking you to study, and then, and then every seventh day there's a blank page for notes, for sermon notes. By the end of the summer, there's no reason why you shouldn't know the book of Romans as good as any pastor I know. They're going to teach you everything. If you apply yourself to this, this is one of those, milk the cow, get a bucket of milk, look at the cow, and it's an empty bucket. Come on, we're going to study the Word of God. Studying the Word of God is different than being entertained by a good sermon. Studying the Word of God once a week achieves once a week results. Studying the Word of God daily achieves really a life transformation. So we encourage you, and uh, these will be available on your way out today. But I want to give away the first one. Anybody got a birthday today? Is today your birthday? It is? Oh, you just raised your hand. What is it? Tomorrow. Well, because you lied the first time, you can't have it. I'm sorry. No, it's not true. Anybody, today's your birthday? Then you get it, kid. Come on up here. So you, this is the very first one. I've autographed it. I didn't autograph it because like Paul wrote it, but anyway, it's cool. God bless you. So get out your Bibles this morning and let's get started. You ready? My, that said, I have 29 minutes left. You guys good? Boom. Here we go. All right. Let's take a look at the backstory. First of all, the book of Romans. Sometimes to understand what's being said, it's nice to know the context in which it's being said. Um, Paul identifies himself at the beginning as an apostle. It's a word we use commonly, but I don't think we, we often know what it means. The word apostle, if you're taking notes today, and you should, even though you don't have the notebook, you should mug her or pay her 100 bucks for that book, and then, but take notes on your phone today, okay? The word apostle, it, it's, it's not an unfamiliar term in the days when Paul is writing this. The Roman culture was a dominant culture. They would go and conquer other places, but instead of killing everybody, they allowed them to some degree have some liberties, but they taxed them heavily. But one of the things they really insisted on was the language, and the culture. If you were assumed by Rome, you became a part of the Roman Empire. So that means you can have your home language, you can have your home religion, as long as it doesn't interfere with emperor worship and you behave yourself. You, you can have your home crops, you can have your home families, you can keep your home. But what happens is you, you need to become a Roman. So we want you to know our language. We must insist that you know our culture. And what happened was they would send, the Roman Empire would send people called apostles. And the apostles would go in and they'd say, okay, this isn't Roman, that's not Roman, correct this. I'm sorry, your accent's thick, change that, work on this. So that if the emperor ever came to visit that town, the apostle had set up that place that the emperor would not notice the difference in culture or language or money or religion or any other thing, whether he was in Rome or any part of the Roman Empire. You guys still here? So the apostle, Paul, he assumes this role. It's a biblical role. And what it is this? He's sent by a king to another land to bring about the kingdom on earth. So that when the king comes to visit, he will find the values of the kingdom. When the king returns, he will find the language of the kingdom. He'll find the priorities of the kingdom. So that when Jesus walks down the streets of Fenton, the apostle's job is Jesus can walk down the streets of Fenton as if it's the streets of heaven. 
Does this make sense? So the apostle is an establishing spearhead, and he identifies himself as the apostle Paul. Now, he's never been to Rome before. He's writing a letter to a place he's never been. <clears throat> he hopes to visit there. There's five million people in the Roman Empire. A million of them live in this 10-mile by 10-mile area. It's densely populated, the most densely populated place on the earth. And he hopes to go and have a harvest there as he has in Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi and these other lesser towns that are part of the Roman Empire. And so he's writing to them and he hopes to have a harvest among them. But beyond that, he hopes to use Rome as a staging ground to continue his westward expansion of the gospel into Spain. Um, there are both Jewish and Gentile believers in Rome. This will be important in a minute to understand the culture behind the book. Uh, the, the Christianity at this point early on is very much a Jewish religion. There are Gentiles being saved, but it's almost like, um, oh boy, now a bad example. It, it's, it's, it's different. It, for us to come into a modern culture and say it's like this, the best thing I would have is that, um, no, I can't even say that. I don't know what it is. Anyway, take notes on that. At this point, Jim became confused. Okay, just know there's both Jews and Gentiles, and they have separate cultures united by Christ. Okay, but this is what happens. Claudius, the emperor of Rome, orders that all the Jews be expelled from Rome. No one's quite sure how long this is. Let's just say five-ish years, five-ish to nine-ish years, all the Jews like, get out. You're not allowed to be in Rome anymore. The city of Rome, not, not the country of Italy, the city of Rome. And so they're expelled. Well, during that time, the Jewish Christians leave. They find other places. We see this in Acts chapter 18, verses one and two, where some people were expelled by Claudius and they're in a different place now in Corinth. Um, but the Gentile believers stayed there. Now, this is what happens. While they're apart from each other for those years, the Jewish Christians become more Jewish and the Gentile Christians become more Gentile. What's that mean? Well, the Jewish Christians kind of start to revert back to, well, you got to be circumcised or you're not really right. You, you can't eat meat with blood. They start going back to a Levitical law because that was their known culture. Well, the Gentiles didn't have any such laws. You know, in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, they never heard of it. They've been exposed to the gospel by faith. They were saved but through the grace of God. But in this dynamic, they just kind of, they also became more Gentile. Now, five years later, they come back together and uh, the church is now divided. We used to have the, the ideas the church was growing. Let's have a traditional morning service and then a more contemporary. How many of you guys know that we have contemporary and, and have you ever seen that dynamic? Here was the problem. We were, we were trying to make everybody happy by separating them, knowing that at some point we'd build this building and then we'd fight the great hymnal wars of 1990 all over again. Right? So we never did that. We resisted that because we realized that culture... Now, everybody's a Christian. How many of you guys know how powerful culture is? So they're a divided church through Gentile and Jewish lines. And so Paul is writing a letter, and he's going to give this beautiful multi-chapter treatise on the gospel and what it does and what it doesn't do. If John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that gave his only son over believes in him, doesn't perish, but has life that never ends, starting right now. If that's the microcosm, the micro version of the gospel, Romans is the macro version. It's, it's Tony Stark looking at an atom and going, phew, and also the whole room is filled with, with the, the diagram. And if you're not an Iron Man fan, that didn't make any sense at all. But Romans is the fullest explanation of the gospel, and it's intended to bring the Jewish, the Gentile, the believer back into unity. How many of us think we could use some unity today in, in, in the church, in the world? on the news networks, turn them off. Amen. Amen. So he starts his letter with the usual salutations. I, Paul, an apostle. How's it going? Good to see you. Nice to have you. What's your social security number? What's your favorite color? Right? But then he gets into this, this huge, to some it's going to be a slap in the face. To some it's going to be a revelation. To some it's going to be what they've always known and celebrated in the gospel. But he starts it with this opening line. For I am not ashamed 
of the gospel, the good news, the, the kingdom message, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, listen to this, the righteousness of who? How many of you guys know my righteousness is a certain level? God's righteousness might be slightly higher, right? The righteousness of God is revealed. The God you're not allowed to look at in the book of Exodus is now clearly seen through Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. From this statement, Paul's going to begin his opening arguments in such a way as to get both sides not in their head. How many guys know sometimes if you're in a divided situation, it's good to start with something that everybody agrees with? If I'm doing marriage counseling and you're both U of M fans, we'll talk about it. Say, so, hey, did you watch the game last night? And it gets people nodding their head. Yeah, did you see? Okay. Now, what seems to be the problem? Well, he's secretly an Ohio State fan or whatever. You know what I mean? And they say, well, then just leave him. So we, we have this. No, I'm kidding. That's true. <clears throat> so he's going to make his first point. Chapter one. Everybody say chapter one. Here we go. There are some people in the world that are just so bad. They are so unbelievably stinking rotten, awful. you got to be kidding me. Why didn't their mama slap them harder when they were little? Bad. And, and he's going to get to say, yeah, yeah, we, we see those people. So Paul explains why they're so bad. So it's this. Now, it's a lot of scripture, but we're doing a Bible study. So read along. Follow the bouncing ball. Here we go. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness, all the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In other words, there's a certain level of wickedness that actually the truth doesn't want to stand up anymore because it knows if it stands up, it stands out. We don't have this in our generation, but previous generations, there's been a price to pay, right? So since what may be known about God is plain to them, we'll explain that. How is an invisible God plain? Because God has made it plain to them for since the what? Let me stop for a second. Evolution is a benign, it's no big deal. Hear me. Once you eliminate Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 from what you believe, you've eliminated, you've questioned, you made everything, the red letters, the black letters, doesn't matter. Everything else is in question. I am here to tell you, based on absolute faith, which is all we're going to have, whether we want to say creation or evolution, whether we say Big Bang, good to you by way of the zoo, whether we say it spontaneously erupted from lifeless matter over billions of years, or we say God breathed it as Scripture declares. Whatever it is, whichever you put your faith in, because there's no scientific proof to validate either one, what's left is your belief system. Now you say, wait, evolution is a scientific fact. Forgive me. Absolute malarkey, not even close. Stop saying it. It is a theory that has been utterly disproven at the molecular level a million times. It literally is just the, the party line. And why is it so important? Well, because communism doesn't want a God. Because secular humanism doesn't want a God. When we say there is no creation, then there is no creator. But Paul says... What is to be known about God is clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. I never saw you, God. I never. Wait, wait. So you're saying that a tree, the stream, the ecosystem, the axis of the earth, gravity. You're saying that the heavens. You're saying microbiology. You're saying you're saying molecular biology. You didn't see something more complicated than random chance in that. How many times do you flip a quarter before it turns up heads? you know, 10 billion times the, you know, the, the 50th power. Like, it's never going to happen. And neither is the random chance of all life. And if you have all life, what about consciousness? What about love? 
What about passion? What about anger? What about the emotions we feel? What, and, and you can try to explain it away with all the scientific stuff. Let me tell you something. The greatest explanation for who you are and what you are and where you are is a loving God who made it all, including you. You are not a mistake. You are not an error. You're not a, some sort of a lightning bolt that billions of years ago hit a, a puddle of protoplasmic goo. You are the divine creation of a loving God. And until you know that, you don't even know the beginnings of who you are. You are better than an accident. You are better than a mistake. See, oh, my science teacher didn't teach me that. I know that, but please hear me, and we're going to prove some things as we go along, the beauty of this letter. So look at this. People without excuse, for although they knew God, how do they know him? Through creation. They neither glorified this creator, this, this intricate, unbelievable, glorious being, and they didn't even give thanks to him. But in their thinking, they became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened by their lack of seeing his creation and his hands involved in that. Although they claimed to be wise, they actually became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal humans. Zeus, Apollos, you know, um, whoever. And, and even went beyond that to the beings like birds and animals and reptiles. Listen, the beginning, uh, this, this begins a set of chain reactions. And, and by, by saying there is no God or I don't see him or even if I don't know who he is, uh, I, 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 sh I don't give him any glory because this is all whatever. I was watching one of my favorite shows called Mountain Men yesterday and Marty's the guy that lives up way up in the, the hills somewhere in Alaska and he goes trapping. He goes, listen, I, I don't know what you believe. I'm not sure what I believe. All I know is that as, as a person who lives in the wilderness, I know him and I know that he lives up here in the bush. I thought, that, what a beautiful way to say that. Like, he, no one's told him about Jesus yet, or he hasn't put his faith in Jesus, but he sees the grandeur of the Alaskan. He lives amongst nature, and he goes, listen, I can't explain to you everything. I don't, I don't know what I believe, but I know this. There is someone who created this, and he loves it up here. And I just say to you, listen, I, I believe that with all my heart. So they're without, they're without excuse. So this, if you don't believe that, this is what happens. If there is no God, if you don't see creation, and you don't see your creator, then a beginning of, of chain reactions takes place. The first thing starts with this. Chapter 1, verse 24 says, therefore. Everybody say therefore. therefore. So when you see therefore, what's the question you have to ask? What's the therefore, therefore? Why, why is it there? Well, therefore, is connective tissue. Because they chose not to acknowledge, because with their mind and their foolish hearts, they became darkened and said, we don't believe any of that. We, we just believe, you know, I just believe in spirituality. I just believe in reptiles. I just believe in whatever idol tickles my fancy. How many of you guys know that most people that don't know Jesus have a God that looks just like them? Wouldn't do anything they wouldn't do. Only does what they would do. Would only bless what they want to bless. What is that? That's idolatry. We've created a God in our image rather than trusting the one that we are created in his image. You still here? This is tough, but I'm just quoting Paul, so you argue with him, all right? So look at this. Therefore, since they didn't recognize him, he says he turned them over to shameful lusts, the degrading of their bodies with one another. There was this hunger for, for something else, this piece of them that wanted passion, this piece of them that wanted life, and they, they went into the bedrooms, and they went into the orgies, and they went into the, and, and when they came out, they were still empty, and they were ashamed of what they'd done. Understand this. God allows pain. I'm not saying God is the creator of it, but God does allow it. Why? Because pain tells us two things. Something's wrong and where it's located so that we can do something about it. So if I'm in pain, I put my hand on the stove, I go, ow! I don't go, what's that smell? It smells like bacon. I like that. I'm hungry. <laughs> A loving God made that unpleasant because it's harming me. I go, ow! Where's the pain? I know exactly so I can do something about it. So he turns them over. If you won't accept who I am, the first level of pain I'm going to give you 
is, is passionate lust for one another that will cause shame, that will destroy families, that'll make your mama not proud of you, that'll ruin relationships. When you slept with your, your buddy's girlfriend, when you, what, you know, and the next morning you wake up and you don't know where you're like, why did I have to get here? I'm gonna create an emptiness. If you choose not to know me, then there's going to be an emptiness that causes pain. That pain is not there to punish you. Hell is there to punish you. Pain in this life is not there to punish you. It's there to challenge you to correction. So the first level, therefore, since they didn't acknowledge God, he turned them over to things that, though pleasurable for a moment, are painful. The, the disease, the broken relationship, the family embarrassment, the unwanted pregnancy, the, all this stuff. It, it should, so we just go, oh, I gotta stop, I gotta stop. I, I gotta find a better way to live than this. But if they don't, it says that because of this, because they didn't, then he turns them over to shameful lust. So this is a different, this is not natural lust, this is now unnatural lust. The Bible's explanation of homosexuality is not in creation. The, the Bible's explanation of um, transgenderism is not in, in creation. It's in because you didn't recognize who your creator was, you began to pursue what only you get from God in other places. And if you wouldn't repent at the first level of pain, there's another level of pain that's waiting for you. Now, I know this is unpopular. I know some of you are like, oh, I can't believe you said that. I'm going to get up and leave and protest. Cool. I'm preaching the Bible. And I will not genetically modify the seed of the word of God to tickle the ears of modern man. I can't. I got to go home at night. I got to look myself in the eye. I got to look God in the eye. So I'm reading the Bible. And, and you have the right to wrestle with what the scriptures say and come to your own conclusions. But my job is to scatter the seed, not just a seed. I can't plant weeds and call it the gospel. So I'm, I'm not mad at anybody. But I, I don't want I, I to say it. You know, God, I'm so sorry I got to say this. But the Bible says I'm not sorry I have to say this. One of, one, of the, one of the most terrible things we can do, I'll get to in just a moment. <laughs> so because of this, if they still wouldn't repent, even in the pain of that, and we're talking about broken relationship. Oh, we're talking about devastation. We're talking about health. We're talking about the anatomies of men and women not created to do the things that are being done and the shame and the sickness and the pain. And if you still won't repent, it says, furthermore, verse 28, and because they still because they still wouldn't take their hand off the stove and see that I love them and that I created them and, and start from there and they do all the math of their life, I turn them over to a reprobate mind. Now, a reprobate mind is not some sort of crazy person, you know, drooling in his beard, urinating his pants and, and walking around crazy. A reprobate mind is literally, where there are people that are highly trained professionals with reprobate minds. There are politicians with reprobate minds. There are news anchors. There are, I assume, pastors and your neighbors and my neighbors that have reprobate minds. A reprobate mind is simply this. If I put this up here and I say, this is a bottle of water, a reprobate mind goes, no, it's not. No, it is. It's a bottle. Here, I can take the lid off. I, can drink. I don't care what you call it. That's not a bottle of water. That's a bottle of sand. It's not a bottle. Of, this is water. It's not water. If you walk outside and say the sky is blue, they walk outside and say the sky is purple. It's not blue. It's magenta. It's not blue. And literally, I, I, have, I have marveled at how someone can look at the exact same thing I look at and arrive at such a different conclusion that the only explanation is their mind just doesn't work the way that it should. It, let's just ask a question. Murder, good or bad? Right or wrong? Okay. Let, let's, let's make it, it... I'm not talking about combat. I'm not talking about putting somebody down that's coming at you with a gun in your home or you're a police officer or a soldier. I'm not talking about warfare. I'm not talking about self-defense. I'm talking about just walking up a complete stranger, taking a knife and sticking it in their eye. Bad idea? Whether, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, we might universally agree on that. Okay. Does it make it better or worse if it's now not an adult, it's a, it's a five-year-old? 
So take a five-year-old, stick it in their eye, kill them. But is that, we also agree that's bad? We shouldn't be for that, right? Make it, a, make it a newborn infant. Take the knife, plunge it in their face. Still bad? Three minutes earlier, put them back in the womb. Still bad? Well, it's, it depends. It, got, it depends. Well, it depends. When does life begin? We've got to debate. Women's rights. It's my body. It's my job. Listen to me. The only way we can arrive at dismembering children in the womb is by having a mind that no longer functions as our creator has destined it to function. And that may sound political. It is, listen, whoever made that a political issue, I don't know. It wasn't me. I'm just telling you in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, if, a, if two men are fighting and a woman says, stop, please stop, and she gets injured and she's pregnant, if the baby's born without an eye, the man who started the fight, he has his eye removed. If, if, if that baby dies, the man who was in the fight, they die. Why? Because God gives the same rights to the unborn as he does to those who are born. And again, is that unpopular? Yes. But again, how many understand? Can you appreciate where I'm coming from today? I'm teaching the Bible, and the point he's trying to make are some really bad things out there. There's some people that believe some really terrible stuff that destroys their own life, that destroys... One of the most unloving things we can do is to be understanding... This is going to be hard for you to understand. I'm just going to say it, okay? How many of you guys are hearing my heart today? Good, because it might take a little translation. Don't be understanding about stuff that God doesn't understand. Sometimes it's more loving to take a stand than it is just to be loving, whatever that means. If your house is on fire and your life is in jeopardy, I don't worry about waking you up when I kick in your front door. I will kick in your front door. Well, that's rude. That's, that's an invasion of privacy. That's so unloving. Their house is on fire. They're dying. And I have no response as a moral human being, not even a believer, but to do what I can to rescue people that are perishing. Can you hear what I'm saying? Can you hear what I'm saying? Can you hear my heart too? I'm not trying to be political. I'm not trying to get put on. I don't even know what's happening online today. <laughs> Sorry about that. Josh back there saying, he didn't mean that. He meant this. I, whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Because we don't know who's listening. But listen, not, and it says, let me just read you this other verse because I think this is important. They have become filled. This is the people that have a rubber bait mind. Filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God haters. Interesting. Capital G. Not hater of God's. But the one true God they hate. You can say spirituality. You just can't say Jesus. You see this? They're insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. Listen to me. This is important. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Christian believer, listen to me. Do not approve of what God has disapproved of. And don't mask your fear of condemnation of a dark world as understanding. We, we don't need to stand unlovingly, but we need to stand. We, we don't need to be egotistical or arrogant or all those things up there. But for us to step back and go, well, the world has changed. The world has changed, but the word of God is not. And we're not standing on culture. We're standing on the word of God. When Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they say, you know, he asked them a question. What do men say that? Well, if we say he's this, then the people will say that. If we say he's that, then the people will say that. We have to lose what the Pharisees were in bondage to, and that is the fear of man, and we need to replace it with what should have always been there, which is the awe of God. If God said it, it is unloving not to repeat it to those who need it. We can't say it mean, but we gotta say it. So for us to withdraw from a debate because 
disagreement is now considered uh, discrimination because speech is now considered weaponized. No, no, it's not weaponized to speak the truth in love. If it is, it's the sword of the spirit. That's good stuff. Everybody say amen, I'll move on. All right, so he's got them all nodding. Do you see how bad people are? Oh, we do, we know people like this. I, I, I golf with a guy like this. You say, oh yeah, I, I, my brother-in-law, and then we, we kicked him out of the family because of that. We, you know, yeah, everybody's nodding their head. So the Jews are nodding their head, the Gentiles are nodding their head, and then he gets to chapter two. You suck too. And this is what he says. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. At whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. Now, this may require some explanation, and so he does explain that. For it is not those who hear the law, those who read their Bible, those who know what Moses said, those who go to temple, those who go to the synagogue, those who quote the prayers. It's not those who hear the law that are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who are declared righteous. Now, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And they say, well, no. It's like, ah, da, da. last Sabbath, what'd you do? Well, it was, it was an exception to the rule. Did you tie the, uh, a tenth of the mint, dill, and cumin, the weeds that, that grow in your ditch out in front of your house? Did you, did you give 10% of that? Well, it's just, it's pennies. It's, it's the, did you, you know, it comes time to, to love your neighbor? Did you absolutely, without exception, love your neighbor? Well, God, you don't know my neighbor. Right? As it's written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul reaches back to the most respected Old Testament prophet in the Jewish mind, Isaiah, and he says, this is what people are saying. They're actually saying God's no big deal because they're watching you make no big deal out of God. So you there judging others. I'm not talking about us today. I'm talking about them back then. <laughs> you heard judging others. Are you living this righteous life that you have a position? Are you, are you without sin so you can cast a stone? And so he, he, he starts with how bad people are, like, yeah, yeah. He goes, and what about you? It's like, well, yeah, well, here. oh, crud, right? So by the time Paul gets to chapter 3, he makes the final point and the opening argument of the book of Romans, and this is what it is. Everybody's lost. Everybody needs a Savior. Look at this. Look how emphatic it is. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it's written, there is, everybody, when it's underlined, say it with me, all right? As it's written, there is righteous. There is who understands? There is who seeks God have turned away. They have become worthless. There is <laughs> who does good. Uh, they keep going. Their throats are open graves. Tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers on. <laughs> Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark. And the way of peace. They don't know. Say it with me. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So then you got to say, well, why did, why did God give the law to Moses if in the end it, it doesn't change anything? If no one is right, but here's the law, obey it, you're righteous. Anybody obey it? Well, no. Okay. Then why would he give it? He explains that two verses later. There's no one, uh, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we're supposed to just become conscious of sin. It was like a tutor, Paul says in Galatians. It was supposed to lead us someplace. Piano guy, join me if you would, please. It was, the tutor was supposed to lead us to a certain place so that it would just kind of keep us okay until we became sons. 
until we became daughters, like, then we don't need a chaperone. We don't need a tutor. We're, we're, we're full-blown members of a household that are ready to go out and, and be heirs and to live as heirs. This is one of the reasons, guys, I believe Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees, that the favorite word that Jesus had for Pharisees was the word hypocrite. And, and the, the word actor in the Greek is the word hypocrites. So what, what he's saying is this. You, you come like you're all that in a bag of chips. Oh, we're righteous. See our robes? See how long my beard is? I, I do the summer tour with ZZ Top, obviously. I got my Grateful Dead t-shirt, my Volkswagen van. I'll go show it to you if you like. You're righteous. And here's my scrolls. And I sit at the right chairs. And I am a Pharisee. Jesus walks in and goes... Here's the problem. When you walk out the door, you put on your robes and you put on your mask. And you behave in one way. But when you come home, where no one knows what's in your heart, where no one sees what others would see, you take the mask off, you take the robes off, you put the scroll down. And when it all comes off, if they could see you as you are, they'd realize you're really no different from the people that you're judging. You see this? So he says, you... Let's, let's talk. Well, you don't have a right. It's the Sabbath. He's like, wait, wait, wait. You're going to correct me? <laughs> Who do you think said the seventh day is holy? I'm the word of God. This is what Jesus would say. And you ain't. I see. You know. You know. No matter how many bulls you sacrifice, you're so full of bull. I just, you guys are actors. Behave one way and you live a different way. By now, Jesus would say, you were supposed to be so frustrated in your sins that you would cry out for a deliverer. You cry out for something better than your knowledge, bigger than the scrolls, stronger than your traditions. By now, you're supposed to have turned to God and said, I can't do it. I don't, I don't know how. I've I've New Year's resolutions don't work. Looking in the mirror and saying you're good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, people like you doesn't work. I do all the self-help scrolls. I do yoga three times a week. I eat goat products. I'm spiritual. But the guy, I, I look in the mirror and I see my face and I realize I'm really no different towards the end of my life than I was at the beginning of this journey. God, I'm sorry. Is there another way? Is there another path? Is there another truth? Is there another life? And then Jesus is supposed to walk up and say, I'm the answer to that prayer. But the Pharisees didn't pray that prayer because they, they were acting like they were okay. Do you know who prayed that prayer? Prostitutes, tax collectors, drunkards, sinners, who finally come to grips with the fact that I'll never get straight, I'll never get out, I'll never get right, I'll never get sober, I'll never get clean, unless something greater than myself restores me to a sanity I've never known. Sound familiar? So when Jesus shows up, they go, you're the answer to my prayer. The Pharisee said, you're messing with our politics. You did what on the Sabbath? Walk into the hand. Walk into the holy hand. But the prostitute said, all I ever wanted was love. And I'm so broken. And I'm so empty. And I'm so used. I'm so far from God. Jesus said, sweetie, come here. Daughter, where are your accusers? They've gone, sir, and say, and I didn't come to condemn you either. I came they might have life. How many guys hear the cry of, of a sinner saying, I need a savior? Versus the, 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 the pompous prayers of the self-righteous. And so he's drawing this line for us. 
saying, listen, the one thing we have in common, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, you're raised Baptist, Catholic, atheist, Lutheran, Democrat, Republican, Oldsmobile, Ford, U of M, other lesser schools. <laughs> one thing we all have in common, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then he ends this magnum opus. Here it is. But now, everybody say, but now. But now, apart from the law, wait, wait, a Jewish rabbi just said what? Apart from the law, the righteousness of God, he talked about in chapter 1, verse 16, has been made known to which the law and the prophets are both talking about. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption, the buying back out of slavery, that which you gave yourself away for. He's purchased to redeem that. That's come by Jesus Christ. You guys doing all right? Two words. If you wouldn't mind standing to your feet, I'll close with these two words. Nobody leave. There are some that have to be in the foyer way because they're handing out books to you and so forth. By the way, we only have 200 books. Please don't take like one for Billy and one for Susie. They cost money and we, we just did what we could, but we're hoping that you would uh, like, don't take one unless you're planning on using it all 13 weeks. Does that make sense? If you're not going to use it, like, oh, it's a, it's a bulletin. We'll, we'll leave it behind. Don't. Put your name in it. Value it. There's only 200 of them. We may be able to make more, but we're not planning on more than 200. So, And please don't take all 200 and then 1130 service. No, do it. That'll teach them to come to church early. Never mind. That's, that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. First service, God loves them. And so they got it. So, Two words. Justified by faith. Those are both in that sense. Justified by faith. We need to know what those mean because they're Christian words that have lost to some degree their punch in our day and age. Hear me. Justified before God means it's just if I'd never sinned. So there's a position, a righteousness from God that's appeared to all men that makes us before God as if we had never sinned. We're not on probation. He's not looking at us and what we've done. He's looking at us through the blood of Jesus to see what Jesus has done for us. And that is what God sees. By the time we get to Romans chapter 8, he's talking about adoption. He's talking about sonship. He's talking about identity. Uh, we're talking about heirs in chapter 9. We're talking about being a living sacrifice in chapter 12. We're talking about submitting ourselves to governing authorities in chapter 13. Like this, There's a whole life that comes after this moment. But the moment begins with this. It, it is not just if I'd never sinned without Jesus. All I have is my works. Well... Where our works get us, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, whether you're a church baby or, or a complete reprobate, whether you got a reprobate mind or you, you've been, you know, you're, you're one of the holiest people we've ever met. Listen to me, we all have one thing in common. We all need a Savior. Some of us knew that enough to cry out a long time ago. Because when I was an addict, when I was addicted to porn, when I was a dangerous person in a lot of different ways towards other people, and I knew I couldn't change myself. With a broken heart, I cried out to an empty heaven for all I knew. If you're there, help me. How many guys know God loves that prayer? A broken heart, a broken and contrite heart, the Bible says he will not cast out. You come to him broken. You come to say, listen, I'm glad I'm not like other men. You know, the Romans chapter 1 types. Nope. We're all Romans chapter 2 types. And all of humanity is Romans chapter 3 types. The other one is by faith. Justified, apart from the law, by faith. Let me just say it in the King Jim Version. 
you don't get to heaven by trying really hard and trying harder and trying harder. You can never make yourself innocent once you cross the line with your free will to become guilty. It's just the way it is. But there's this beautiful thing that says, there's another way to heaven besides my righteousness. Since I've blown option A, what is option B? Option B is simply this. And it was always God's plan for the foundations of the world. He knew this was going to have to happen. This is, this is the plan. You ready? Jesus will face everything you face. Everything that's defeated you will not defeat him. He'll lay down his life as a sacrifice, paying the debt of, of our, for our failures. And once our failures are paid for, our job then is not to be better, be better, be better, be better, holy, 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 moral, moral, moral. Our job is to trust the one who is holy, holy, holy. If you can trust Jesus with you forever, if you believe that what he said, that he lived for you, he died for you, he rose from the dead for you. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth the lordship of Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Not by what you've done, but by what he's done for you. And you saying, I'll take that gift. The wages of sin is death, right? Romans chapter 6. But the gift of God is what? It's eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I know I said a lot of things today that might shake you up. I know especially our younger people and the school system and all that kind of stuff. The old people, amen, a lot. The young people crawl, folded their arms and kind of look at me like I lost my mind. If you want to know what I really meant to say, ask Pastor Carl or Pastor Ian after the service today. and They'll give you the... But I, I don't take back a single word. I can't because I think what I'm saying is his word. I think I said it okay. Right. Yeah, and again, it's funny. The older people are like, yeah. The older young people are like, you're just such a, I don't even, you know what I mean? It's cool. But don't let this divide us. We shouldn't be divided, but we should be united with what Jesus has said, what, what the Bible says, right? So the Bible makes it clear. Certain things happen for certain reasons. Repent of those reasons. The chains are broken back to liberty. It is unloving and unkind to say it's good, it's okay, when it's not good and it's not okay. It is loving to say, I warn you, flee from this. Flee from this. Father, I pray over those that are here today as we prepare our hearts to make a decision and a choice. Next week, Paul's going to substantiate this whole thing by looking back before the law at the life of one man named Abraham, who was your servant who just simply trusted you and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's going to validate all of the things we talked about today. But right now, God, before we leave this room, even without this, this historical, biblical validation, I believe that your spirit's moving on people's hearts and lives in such a way that today is that day, that day when things change, that day when they're born all over again, that day when they see, when they feel, when they know. So heads are bowed, church, eyes are closed today. I believe the Holy Spirit's moving on people's hearts. I want to do two things. First one's very simple. Today, if you're here and you need Jesus, he is the way, the truth, the life. He's the one we're supposed to be crying out for. Don't create idols that look like you. Run to the one who died for you so that you can look like him. That's it. Christianity is not a religion. It's, it's a relationship that, that is ongoing, transformational, renewed, uh, transformed. These, these are the words in Romans 12 we'll get to that talk about your relationship. The metamorphosis of being born again is a gift that you can receive before you leave this room today. If you're not right with God, but you want to be. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just as a, a simple act of faith. Just a, a quick, it goes up, it goes down. But you did something. You're, the noun of that faith became the verb of your action. When you translate the noun into the verb, something changes inside of you. It begins something new. In your neuron path, something new in your spirit, something new in your soul. It's the first act of faith. If you're here today and you know that you need the Savior, you need God, you need mercy. You know you can't do it by yourself. You know that the only way to heaven is to trust the one who came from heaven to die for you, rose from the dead for you, and is waiting for you now for all eternity to make this choice you're about to make now. If that's you and you want Jesus, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand all over this room right 
I'm gonna pray for you. The hands are going up. The hands are going up. Today's my day, Jim. Today's the day I get right with God. Today's my day. Yeah, that's really cool. Oh, I love that one. Good. Come right back down again. I don't mean to embarrass anyway. Just so would you pray this with me right now, all over this room? Say this with me right now, would you? And this is if you know what to say to God, then you say it. You don't need my words. But for those of you that just you ever owned a Volkswagen Beetle, you know what a bump start is. I'm just going to give you a shove in the right direction. You pop the clutch, and you'll just take off. Let me give you a few steps, a few, a few words to say to God. But if you've got your own words, man, just start the car and take off. It's your relationship. But say this with me right now, all over this room. Say this with me. Jesus, you're the one. And I make my choice. And I take my stand. All your promises for me are yes and amen. Today, I turn to you as my only hope. I choose you. I prefer you. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of every sin. And birth in me an unquenchable destiny for your glory. Very important. Hear this. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me your word. I'll see you soon. Last thing is this. Would you just remain in a bowed state for just a moment? I, I wasn't going to do this. I had no intention. I felt the Holy Spirit just prompt me. If you're here today and you need to repent as a believer of having been understanding to a point of being unmerciful. That makes sense? In other words, they're, they're in a house. It's on fire. I don't want to disturb them. I don't want to suffer the persecution of confrontation. I... I, someone else will talk to them. I, I'm trying to say the right, the right phrase to get you to understand what I'm trying to say. If, if it's time for that, like as I was speaking today, you're like, you know, that's, that's been me. Some of you are mad because I said it. That, that's, I, maybe I can help you through that later on. But those are like, were convicted by what I said. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You raise your hand right now and say, God, I'm, you know, as of today, uh, I will lovingly, but I will consistently I will, I will tactfully with wisdom, but I will, I will not allow lies to go unchallenged. Even though those who do these things not only do them, not only create new ways of doing them, but, but they approve of those who do, let me not be found in the crowd of those who approve of what you disapprove of. With love, let me draw lines that you have drawn. And if you need that today, would you just raise your hand right now all this room? Father, I pray for your uplifted hand, every convicted heart. God, we were sorry. But we're never going to be salt and light if we blend into the gray and the darkness of this world. So let us be salt and light. Make us so bright, so shiny, God, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. All right. Next week, as all the workers are coming forward, we're going to get into Romans 4 and 5, the beginnings of 6. This is why. Everything Paul just said is kind of dangling out there by faith. He's going to substantiate that there is a righteousness that's not based on the Ten Commandments. That was before the Ten Commandments and carries over the Ten Commandments to today. He's going to point to Abraham. I want you this week to study Romans 1, 2, and 3, the first part of the week, uh, 4, 5, and 6, the second part of the week. Six chapters. You can do it. Read a chapter a day. Meditate on it. Read six chapters every day. Read the entire book of Romans, the commentaries. Get on the internet. Get really confused. Whatever you want to do. But we're going to apply ourselves to this. The more we say, I don't get that. I don't agree with that. If you don't agree with it, at least study it before you draw your own conclusions. Don't let modern media decide what the Bible says and reject the Holy God because it doesn't align with Hollywood. Yes? 
But on social media, hey, stop. Study it. Don't walk in ignorance and darkness, calling it light and enlightenment. Amen? So if you study it, you arrive at a different conclusion, you come talk to me, you come teach me, I will take back everything I said today. I will. If you can teach me that I was wrong, I'll take it all back. But if you can't, you're faced with a binary decision of which way you're going to turn your heart. Towards the Word of God, away from the Word of God. Amen? The Lord bless them all, I pray. If you need prayer, come this way for prayer. You need a miracle, you need hope, you need life. There's a guest reception, Sister Babe. I, I'm, Nicole, I'll, I'll just make you my unofficial Sister Babe. Okay, yeah, so back in that back room, the light is. There's a guest reception. You're back there. They're, I think they're waving their hand. I can see a hand being waved. And if you want to know kind of next steps, that's the place to go. God bless you. You need prayer, come this way. We'll talk to you soon. Romans chapter 1, 2, 3 in the books. 4, 5, and 6 is next.